Just uh, another massive, exciting, well done to you guys. 168 hours of prayer got finished at, uh, was it 7 o'clock last night? Fantastic. Fantastic. I, I Honestly, it is amazing. It is a miracle that as a church we pull this off. I think I've said this to you before. I have friends with a heart for uh, 24-7 prayer with churches three, four times bigger than ours, and they can't fill a hundred hours in a week. They're, they're not able to fit. We just did, again, for the fifth time, 168 hours non-stop, and it was flipping amazing, wasn't it? I mean, it was so, it's so fun handing over to someone at like two in the morning and praying for God to come, and they're like, whoa, uh, it's just, just beautiful, it's just beautiful. Uh, Jan McFarlane is out with the kids, she reckons we should call it 24-7 encounter room. And I said, well, I did do some praying. I didn't, wasn't just in heavenly places all the time. Um, but it, it's, it's amazing, and I believe God's drawing us on in that. And, and I know Phil, uh, Phil Ford was involved in some, and hearing some of the testimonies of what 24-7 is doing around the nation and the globe. And it, actually, people are just getting saved because people are praying in a prayer room. And I believe that's beginning to happen with us and is going to increase. Many of you are having encounters in that room. Many of you, your faith is going up. Many of you, even your ability to pray increases just because you showed up in that room. So well done, church. Amazing church. This is a, I sat in the room yesterday morning early and just spent a whole... I can't remember now. You, have, you know how the time just goes, doesn't it? Just like, God, thank you for this church. I went through loads of you, names. Like, these are amazing people. These are powerful people. These are they're, they're changed. They're serving. They're, they're awesome. They're incredible. It just wouldn't work without you. So, so thank you, church. I get to lead you. What a, what a great job this is. I'm like, wow. And, and I thought I could go through everybody, but then, you know, I'd leave somebody out or I'd get it wrong or just so that, thank you, everybody. You're just amazing to lead. And, and it's just so, uh, and, and I hope you're not sitting there going, oh, yeah, and he's just saying it. No, that's what I really feel it. And, I, and sitting in that prayer room and I just saw what people had put on the walls and what was coming out of their hearts to God. I thought, whoa, this is just super. This is such a church full of God and hungry for God and going after God and we want to we want every, Him and everything He has. Is that not true? So Mark chapter five is a good place to go. It's you, you, we all have these passages that kind of live with us for our lives. And I've preached on this lots and lots of times, and, and a lot of you will be very familiar with this if you've been a Christian any length of time. But I make no apology because I just feel it's one of those things over the decades that God just keeps bringing back and says, look, have you seen this? Or I'm re-emphasizing this now. And there's some incredible, powerful principles here in this section. So we're, we're breaking in um, at verse 21. And Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her. Come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, no offense to the medical profession this morning, and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And they're like, the disciples are like, You see the people crowding around you? His disciples answered, And yet you ask, Who touched me? And Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Ha ha. Whoa. I mean, it is dense 
with stuff. The way that Mark writes his gospel, it's just absolutely packed. It's punchy, it's brief, but actually you can kind of read through it if you're familiar with it and really not connect totally to what's, what's going on in this story. And uh, here you have Jesus who is, he is God. I mean, he is the goodness of God. He is the grace of God personified. He's walking around as man, but also God. And he is, he is God's invasion on the earth in a person. He represents fully what God is like. In fact, Hebrews tells us he's the exact representation of God. If you want to know what God is like and how he wants to relate to you, look at Jesus. And uh, go no further than that. And read everything else in the Bible through Jesus. Because lots of it doesn't make sense if you just kind of try and read the whole thing and go, wow, how does this work? Well, look at Jesus. He makes it work. He helps it work. It's always, he's meant to be the lens through which you understand the way that God works and what his kingdom is like. And uh, <laughs> here you have Jesus going off to heal somebody again. Um, and here you have this woman. And in the way that Mark puts it together, she has this incredibly long list of problems in her life. It isn't just that she's ill, but it, I mean, it, it springs from her illness. But I just want to go through some of the obstacles to faith that she was living with. All right, because I think they touch just about everything that goes on inside of you and me that means that we can draw back from actually believing. But Jesus says to her at the end, going, go, your faith has healed you. So despite all of these things, faith was incubated in her heart. And it's remarkable. So let, let, just... just let, the section in the scripture, let's just look at it. She was sick and it was getting worse. I mean, how discouraging is that? Especially if you've been and you've tried to get well, but actually day by day for 12 years, what's happening is your condition is not improving, it's declining. That is demotivating, that is discouraging and disappointing, is it not? It was number two. It was a long-term thing. It wasn't the flu for a week or some malady that had been there for a month. This was 12 years of continuous suffering. And I think this is deliberate. I think this story is plonked right in this section of Scripture to, to show us something about us and about Him and about the way He works. So... And it's almost like condensed into this woman is all the kind of issues that we could possibly have. You know, God, when are you ever going to show up and sort this out in my life? She had that. God, I keep praying that I'll have a breakthrough and actually my situation gets worse. She had that. Are you with me? And, and, and she, uh, she said that even the people that are supposed to care for her made her suffer. She actually suffered at the hands of the doctors. You know, this is the caring profession, but the impact on, I don't know what they did in those days, I don't know if they did leeches and stuff, but I'm sure it was very primitive and not at all like what we have now. But the outcome was, it says she had many encounters with doctors, and every time it seems like rather than have a good experience, she had a bad experience. She's one of those people that, that they interview about the NHS that they found out was left on a trolley in, in a, you know, outside a ward with no food for two days. She was one of them sort of people. So she had every reason to be bitter at the human race because the human race was letting her down. The professional human race was letting her down. And connected with that each time, you know, you go to a new doctor, you pay new money, your hopes rise, and then they're dashed, and actually you end up worse, not better. Anybody gone through that? You just think, this is going to be the solution to the problems of my life. This is going to be the time I get a breakthrough. This is the day where everything turns around. This is it. <laughs> and every time that happens, the potential is that inside your heart, you just get a little bit more negative and a little bit more disappointed and a little bit more squished in your optimism and a little bit more cynical because, 
you know, after 15 goes, it's not working, and I'm, be- I'm worse and now and poorer now than I was at the beginning. So her hopes are continually dashed. And now, as a result of that, she's poor and she's broke. She, she spent all her money, it says. So that's something else that, particularly in our society, we've got no money, you're really depressed. There's a huge reason to be miffed with God. I'm broke. Not only have I got the pressure of being ill all the time, I've now got the pressure of having no money, having tried to, to get my way out of illness. Some people just get depressed because they're broke, and that's the only thing going wrong in their life. It's bad. It's serious. I'm not saying it's not serious. None of this is that all these aren't real issues, but what I'm surprised about in this passage is how faith springs up so quickly in her heart, given all the reasons for being discouraged that she has, and all the reasons for disappointment that she has. And, and to pile onto this, she, she has religious reasons. She has religious disadvantages. Because if you read back in, in Leviticus 15, it talks about the woman's time of the month and, the, and the, the blood that comes out in that about week period. And actually, under the law, that made a woman unclean for that whole period. And then she had to have another seven days to get clean. And not only was she unclean, but anybody she touched became unclean. Anything she sat on or touched became unclean. And anybody who sat on the things that she sat on became unclean. So basically, that point, time of the month... As a woman, you were a bit on the outside of life because nobody wanted, nobody wanted to be religiously or ceremonially unclean and just mere contact with you meant that your uncleanness was passed on to them. How wonderful. Aren't you pleased we're not under the law? Every woman said amen. And every bloke went, huh? But this, it goes on, if this is a continuous thing, then all those rules apply for the whole time that a woman is suffering from bleeding. So if you invite this woman in your house and she sits on your sofa, everybody who sits on the sofa after her is religiously unclean. So what do you do? You don't invite her around, do you? She's not allowed in the temple. She can't worship. She can't connect. So... The religious, the law God gave made her a religious outcast. And that made her, in their society, she was a social outcast as well because who wants an unclean sofa every time? I don't know, you have to burn it or what? I can't remember what the, the, the laws were, but often you had to burn stuff that was made unclean or throw it out in the rubbish heap outside the city and all those kind of things. Every time she comes around for tea, you have to, it's another sofa now. Mary's been round. You're just going to not do it, aren't you? So she was re- religiously on the fringe. She could not touch anybody, and therefore she was socially on the fringe. That's pretty depressing too, isn't it? bit lonely. All the laws of God were stacked against her. She had every reason to think that God had set life up to be a big problem for her. She was sick, she was poor, there was no answers. Even the laws of God made her feel small and insignificant, distant and outcast, and nobody wanted to know her because that's the effect of the, on, on the social situation of her condition. So she had health problems, money problems, religious problems, and social problems. So it pretty much covers most of the sort of things that you or I might have, and she has all of them. She has every opportunity to be bitter, disappointed, broken, depressed, and angry at God. Because if it's going that bad, you've got to blame somebody. And she has seven great reasons to be fed up with life, fed up with God, and probably fed up with herself. Yet her heart could incubate faith. Her heart could incubate miraculous, Jesus-moving faith. 
This was the only person in a great press of people who, like the disciples said, you know, everybody's touching you. What do you mean who touched me? No, somebody touched me different to all the other people who were touching me. Someone's touch had a different quality to it that I felt it in a way I didn't feel all the others. So he felt, it says, power go out from him. All the other people, he just felt a physical push or a shove or a touch or a poke. There's a different feeling happened when this person touched him. Ooh. This, this dejected, this, this rejected, this outcast, this, this sick person, this downtrodden person, this, this alienated person activated something in Jesus that all those other people didn't activate. It was there potentially, but only she tapped into the potential. It was there actually, Jesus walked around as a living, breathing, healing, blessing, delivering person. There's never a demon he meets that he backs down from, and there's never a sickness that he meets he doesn't heal. I keep reading and I can't find one. And all these people, in any crowd, in this room, you don't need to be a genius, someone's going to be ill. You don't need a word of knowledge. You know, there's going to be at least two or three back problems in the room. There's going to be, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a word of knowledge to pray for them. But there's all these people pressing around and they're not getting well. She goes, she connects. There's a lightning bolt from heaven goes through her finger as she touches the hem of his garment and all the other people are still stuck with whatever their problems are. And in an instant, all of her problems are solved. All of her problems go away in one connection to Jesus. One connection to Jesus fixes her body, which will fix her money, which will fix her religious problem, which will fix her social problem. And suddenly, from being outcast, she's healed and favored in one connection to the goodness of God that's embodied in Jesus. That's called being fixed. So if you have stuff go wrong, this is what, this is, I was just thinking about this. A few years ago, we went, I went through a terrible time. The church went through a terrible time. And out of it, you know, I realized what you start to feel, or what I start to feel, was kind of two things. When lots of bad things start to happen to you, really at the bottom line, deep down, I started to think, you know what, God, you're just a bit mean on the side. And the other thing that comes and parks itself alongside that is, I'm just a bit rubbish. Because all these difficult things can't be... I need a reason why difficult things happen. And it's either that God's a bit mean, or I'm a bit rubbish, or a combination of the two. Hello, anybody else feel things like that? Oh God, if you were really good and really nice, then all this crap would not have happened. Or, if I was half decent, I wouldn't made all those decisions. I wouldn't be here if I was sensible and good. I wouldn't attract all this rubbish. Therefore, I'm a rubbish attractor. Therefore, I am rubbish. had a really good title for this sermon, but then I had to change it. Some of you will know what I changed it from. <laughs> Rubbish happens, but he's good. <laughs> yeah, I know you would be glad that I changed it. I'm glad I changed it too. Rubbish happens, but he's good. We all want a reason. Why is it so crap? And what's happened in the church is but subtly in our hearts we have started to think that actually it's crap because God's a bit mean. And alongside that, it's crap because we're crap. She, I believe, managed to avoid those two, those two ditches on either side of the road of faith. 
Those are the two things that are going to blow your faith out of the water very fast. If you think you're rubbish and or he's rubbish, your ability to believe in his goodness and his ability to do something for you evaporates extremely rapidly. And she didn't do that. Her heart is a remarkable heart. She protected her heart. In all her trouble, she protected her heart. So when she heard about Jesus, it said, something in her goes, you know what, if I touch him, I'm going to get well. That's what she said. If I touch him, I'm going to get something amazing. I'm not going to give him uncleanness. I'm going to get a miracle. That was a huge mental shift. What I've got, what he's got, is so significant and so powerful and so wonderful that it will overwhelm my ability to transmit my problem to him and he will give his goodness to me instead. Actually, it's going it's to, it's, the whole thing is going to go in reverse. I'm going to get whacked and blessed and loved. He's not going to get made unclean and horrible for a week. He's not going to have to burn his clothes and wash his body or whatever else he would have had to do. She had no concern. She knew what he was was so awesome, it would overwhelm what she had. She didn't give place to the thought that God was mean and that she was rubbish. He's got it in for me, this God of heaven. I don't know how many times I've experienced this, but I've actually, and maybe this is partly connected to the job I do as well, is I start to go through pressure and that makes me back off in my intimacy with God. Because what I'm doing mentally and emotionally is I'm connecting my pressure and I'm blaming Him and I'm thinking, this is rubbish time so I don't want to talk to you. Can we just have a show of hands just so I feel better? Anybody? Life is crap. I don't want to talk to you because it's your fault. There's a fundamental thing that has to change inside of us that I believe she'd grasp. And I think she was a godly woman, no doubt. And and in the sort of prophetic history of Israel, there, there are scriptures that you can read that reflect where she was coming from. So if if you don't turn there now, I'll read it to you. But if you go into Habakkuk 3, for instance, David is another good example. It says things like this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no grapes on the vine, though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. I mean, that's a picture of a pretty crap situation. That's rubbish with a capital R. Yeah? That's what the prophet is describing. This is really bad. This is really poor. I'm really struggling with this. Then he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You what? You mean you don't want a grump with God for a week because there's no grapes? No, I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will be sad and grumpy around God my Savior. No, he says, I will be joyful in God my Savior. Why? Why? Why rejoice in crap? Why rejoice in God and be joyful around Him when there ain't no money and there ain't no health and there ain't no goodness on the horizon for me? Twelve years, it's rubbish. I think she knew this. I think she was a worshiper and I think she just decided I'm not going to attribute bad things to a good God. God is good. He is not the author of my predicament. And at the end of this little prophetic interlude in Habakkuk 3, it says, this is for the director of music on my stringed instruments. So this isn't just a private declaration. This is like standing at the front saying, oh, the fig tree isn't blossoming and there ain't no grapes and there ain't no sheep and there ain't no food and there ain't no money, but I'm not going to be depressed. I'm going to rejoice and be happy and celebrate in my God. Yeah! Come on, sing it, everybody. I'm going to rejoice in my God. Yeah! Although life is crap, I rejoice in a good God. It's my new song. It's going to go far. What a heart! 
What a heart. Everything's telling me to blame God. And he says, and she says, no, that's the wrong solution. That's the wrong analysis of this situation. You're getting it wrong. You're reading it wrong. Jesus doesn't read it this way. You see, we always want to know, why am I ill? Why am I in a problem? Why is it going wrong? Why is it bad? You know what? The disciples asked Jesus that question. In John chapter 5, they say, Is this man blind? John 5, 14. Is this man blind because he sinned or his father sinned? Like, they didn't think there was any other possible reason. It had to be somebody's fault. Now, Jesus' answer is profound and also frustratingly lacking in information. (laughs) All right? So their question is, Is this man blind because of his sin? It says he was born blind, so I don't know how they figure that one out. Or is he blind because of his parent, parents' sin? And they believed in generational sin and stuff like that, which it, there's, there's value in that. We can see that. But the question was, why is he blind? Jesus says, basically he says whatever he says, which was really good. And, and you all know what he says. <laughs> I do have the verse here somewhere. Anyway, I'll do it from memory. Jesus says, no. <laughs> Which is a non-logical answer to a straightforward question. This is so that the goodness or the glory of God could be revealed in his life. didn't answer the question, really. He didn't tell them why this person was blind. Other than, here's an opportunity for God's goodness to break in on somebody. He didn't say, he didn't say it was the devil. He didn't say it was the person. He didn't say anything other than, there's a problem. Ta-da! God's here to fix it. That's the reason there are problems in Jesus' view. Because God's so good, he wants to fix them. But why have I got the problem? He's here to fix it. See, this woman didn't get trapped in this hole of why is it a problem? Oh, it's poor old me and mean old God. She just went, he's here to fix it. He's here to fix it. He's the fixer. He's the good doer. When there's crap, he fixes it. When there's rubbish, he comes and does good stuff. <laughs> oh, that's so good. You know, Jesus just said annoying things like, in the world you will have tribulation. Oh, thanks. Yeah, rubbish happens. Jesus said it first. Someone else copied it and made it a bumper sticker in America and put a rude word in there instead. But Jesus said it first. In the world, it's going to be tough. It's not your fault. It's not his fault. It's the way it is because there's a fall and there's a devil. There's a bad dude. And in history, Adam and Eve did some bad stuff. And they allowed, instead of the great life God had designed for them, they allowed rubbish to enter the world. That's kind of a... That's what happened. The fall was bad stuff happened. Bad stuff entered. Destruction. They gave the devil authority to steal and kill and destroy on the planet that God had made to be a good place and a wholesome place for them to live and eat and flourish. So until the day that that is completely reversed, rubbish happens. Nasty things happen to good people. That doesn't mean that you suddenly become a bad person. And it doesn't mean God has become a bad God. Hello. See, if you push those two, which is where we go, oh God, you mean, or I am rubbish, or a bit of both... You suddenly start to switch off 
the incubator in your heart where faith can come. Even if you are a bit crap. Let's just assume you maybe sinned a bit in your life. And now you're in the Klagenpupen, as the Germans say. <laughs> and the Klagenpupen is because of the crack and poop, crap and poopen that you did. Therefore, in our twisted logic, we go, therefore God isn't really going to fix me because it's my stupid fault. That's not how he did it. You know what? People who were ill because they'd sinned, he healed them and then said, he healed them and then said, go and sin no more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wide mouth astonishment. There you are. You know you've done some rubbish stuff in your life. You know that you're in a fix and a lot of it's your fault. Jesus comes along and fixes you for free. It doesn't say mess, deal with your mess. It doesn't say clean up your life. It doesn't say what an awful person, repent of your sins. He fixes you. And he says, by the way, don't do that again. That's flipping amazing. That's flipping, flipping, flipping amazing. It doesn't matter how rubbishy, rubbishy, rubbishy you are. He comes and fixes you for free. And then says, don't do that again. But there's no kind of lightning bolt from heaven. No curses from the angry father on the throne. The ground is not opening up and swallowing me. God's healed me. And then says, don't do it again. Wow. Wow. Wow, wow. Hello. If I was sitting there listening to me, I'd be going, wow. <laughs> In fact, the only guy he said that to, I thought Jesus said it a lot, and I looked it up, and there's only once he did it. And it was the guy he picked out at the pool of Bethesda to get healed. And he doesn't even tell him straight away. He says he goes and finds him afterwards and says, see that you don't sin again. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. See, we all think God's all about sin. He's preoccupied with my problems. No, he isn't. He's preoccupied with how the flipping heck can he bless you. And then let's talk about the issues if we need to. Because you cannot change if you think God is mean. Not in your heart. You don't change. Faith does not come if you think God is grumpy and mean and out to get you and zap you with lightning bolts and open up the ground and da 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 And you can't change if you think you're rubbish because you're now disempowered. You need to think you're powerful to change. In our attempt to have a balanced perspective on human responsibility... Western Christianity has assigned almost no responsibility to the devil for the rubbish that happens. And is much more likely to blame God or ourselves. That's also biblically totally crap. Sorry, I'm on that word. It's rubbish. It's not true. Jesus came to do what? To do good. To heal people who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus of Nazareth, Acts 10.38, went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He came that men could have life and have it more abundantly. The devil came to steal and kill and destroy. And what's the other feature of him? He's a liar. He doesn't tell the truth. And he likes to appear as an angel of light. So he likes to look like he's the good guy. And make God the bad guy. And we've bought the lie. That God is mean and the devil might be a bit good. Yeah. 
God is good. He's totally good. And that means he does good things. He's the author of every good gift. Every good gift. He's not mean. He's not withholding. He's not grumpy. He's not in a bad mood. God is literally in a good mood. Because he can even laugh, it says, at his enemies. He never has a day when he wakes up and goes, flipping it, it's a gloomy outlook today, son. The weather's pants in heaven. It's raining again in heaven. There's lots of people don't believe in me. The atheists are rising. The Muslims are on the move. You know, Islam is taking over. Oh, oh I think I'm just going to stay in bed today. <laughs> he never thinks like that. He never even has a glimpse of a gloomy emotion. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me that in his presence is fullness of depression. No, no, it says in his presence is fullness of joy. Because that's what he's like. When you, you know, when you meet someone, they carry an atmosphere, don't they? They carry an attitude. And you bump into people, and if you're sensitive, it can start to affect you. You can meet some people, you go away and think, man, I feel so depressed after an hour with them. And nothing in your life has changed. Anybody ever met anybody like that? You don't have to say who it is. <laughs> Unless it was me, then I really need to know. I want to know. Well, there's other people, you meet them, and your mood is lifted up. Because in their presence is excitement or fun or faith or joy or good. Yeah? That's what God's like. And he's abounding in goodness. It's bursting out of every seam. If he had seams, they'd be bursting. Sometimes Scripture says bad stuff's happening because of sin. Sometimes Scripture says bad stuff is happening because of Satan. And sometimes Scripture doesn't tell you at all. Because the important thing is not the reason you're in the poop. From a heavenly point of view, right? this is how God looks at this. The important thing isn't that you have a correct analysis of where you are. The important thing is that there's faith in your heart for him to get you out of it. He just looks at all our poop and says, I'm the ultimate pooper scooper. I was born to get rid of poop. I'm here to kick poop into the bin. I'm here to bring light where there's darkness, healing where there's sickness. I'm here to bring provision where there's lack. I'm here to do good where there's evil. I'm here to turn the lights on when they've gone out. I'm the ultimate goodness. Look out, here I come. And we'll go, ooh. He's just bursting to do you good because he can't do anything else. It's his nature, his goodness. Jesus went around and he was doing good and healing all the oppressed of the devil. So the devil is bad. All the bad stuff. If you're looking for somebody to blame, blame the bad guy. If you don't know, blame him. He's never going to own up. He's never going to say, ha ha, that was me. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to hide and skulk and weave and deceive because he wants to stay under the radar. The devil is the author of loads of crap in your life. Just named it. Because then you get rid of him. Same. I'm having fun. It was John 9. I found it. The man born blind. (laughs) Not John 5. Just change your notes. So you can be in a great deal of difficulty and God is not primarily concerned with how or why you got there. His overriding passion is to fix you. 
is to bless you, is to do you good, is to rescue you, heal you, provide for you, change your mindset, deliver you. Whatever it is that you need because of the fix you're in, that's his overriding passion, is to help you, not to analyze you. <laughs> so she had all this stuff happen and her heart stayed in a place where she could incubate faith because she didn't attribute badness to God or to herself and lots of the things we've been teaching as a church is about these two things who you are and who he is We've been trying to establish God is good and he's a loving, great, heavenly papa. He's our heavenly daddy. He's good, he's affectionate, he's kind. Yes, he is to be worshipped and he's awesome and powerful, but he's fundamentally good. And he makes people born again, they become royal sons and daughters. What the devil goes for is the identity of God and your identity. Goes right back to the garden. He's trying to make God look mean and you look rubbish. It's all the story all the way through. He even does it with Jesus. And what the gospel is, it restores the reality that God is good and he's restoring you and has restored you to greatness, which is what he created you to be right in the garden. He said to the man and the woman, here's this whole planet, rule it. That's greatness. And he's restored every single believer to greatness And he wants to restore our concept of ourselves and of him to the right place. God is good. He is kind and he wants to do you good all the time. And he wants us to blame the right people. Or if we don't know who to blame, not blame him. Do you still love me? Well, the front row do. I'm not sure about... (laughs) You're still my friends. Thanks. The second thing she did was she renewed her mind. And we don't, this is hard for us to really understand how powerful this was. So she, remember, she activated power. She activated something out of Jesus. No one else did. The first reason is that our heart was in a good place. Despite seven reasons to be grumpy. And the second thing is she allowed her thinking to change. From centuries of religious tradition and even God-inspired biblical verses. She allowed, she took the risk of thinking Jesus had changed the name of the game that completely that something different could happen for her. So the inspired word of God was that if you bleed You are contaminated and you contaminate everything and everybody you touch. That was what was taught. That was what was practiced. That's why she was excluded. She was excluded from worship. She was excluded socially. She was excluded because God said she should be excluded. And she was a powerful contaminant on everything and everybody that she had contact with with. It's in the scripture. You can read it in Leviticus 15 and all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, rebuke and training in righteousness, is it not? So she had good, sound biblical reasons to believe that she should not touch anybody. And that if she did, they would be contaminated. That was the conviction of faith. Rooted in biblical revelation. Then rocks up Jesus. Who is the final revelation. Who is the ultimate revelation. Who is the exact revelation of what God is like. And Jesus does not get contaminated by gunge. He kicks gunge out. He doesn't get gunged. He doesn't get slimed. He's the slime remover. He's the pooper scooper. He's the light that shines in the dark place. He's the one that kicks out the rubbish. He doesn't accumulate it. He doesn't say, here, give me your rubbish. I'll carry your rubbish. No, he blows your rubbish away. She saw something about the presence of Jesus. That this guy could be touched and not contaminated. And secondly, 
the radical thought she had was that not only could he be touched and not contaminated, that he could be touched and virtue and power would flow from him to her. That was out-of-the-box thinking, unbiblical at that point. She didn't have a Bible verse. She just saw a person. Sometimes God takes you in your heart where your Bible verses don't take you. And it isn't because God's saying stuff that isn't in the Bible. It's just that what you know about the Bible is incomplete or inaccurate. And what I know about the Bible, my interpretation of what's in it is often not right up there. So he will show you something and do something. You go, tilt. That's not in Scripture. Or I don't know where it is. But it feels like you. Now, if you're religious, you'll go, I don't have a verse. And withdraw. If you're curious, and if you're like her, you're willing to move into new things of God, you go, hmm, feels like God, let's have a look. And suddenly, you know what? God can show you stuff from Scripture that means that your head catches up with what your heart can only conceive of. That's what she was like. She was allowed God to change her mind from religion, which separated her from the goodness of God, to faith and relationship, which connected her to the goodness of God. So she went up fully convinced, and it says in different versions, it says she thought or she said, if I just touch him, I'll be well. That was a huge turn. That was a 180 in terms of truth that she would have been taught and lived with. She had a revelation. That God was good. And that what had happened before, all the rules and the laws, they had their place. But this was a new season. This was a new time because Jesus had come and he was painting God in his fullness. And he looked somewhat different to the God they'd been taught about. And she was willing to go after that. She was willing to press into that, connect to that, and even believe something different to what she'd been taught. Hello. The church has not always taught the right stuff. We've often taught law from the old covenant like it applies today. It doesn't. We've often taught that God can't be trusted to heal you, bless you, or look after your finances. But he can. We often taught, well, he only, you know, he only heals lucky people. If your number's up in heaven, he'll heal you. No, it's not what it says. Jesus healed every single person that was ill that came to him. Without exception. He was the exact representation of the nature of God. Go figure. So are you willing to change your mind? Because changing your mind and preserving your heart is what gives you access to the yummy goodness flow from a good God. So really all we're saying is God is good. All the time, in every way, in every place. He's not the bad guy. He's the good guy. And he's made you good. You're not rubbish. You're not disqualified. You're powerful. You're significant. You're royal sons and daughters. You have absolute access. You're joint heirs with Christ. You share. You sit with him in heavenly places. So you have joint seating, joint access, and joint inheritance. All the things that Jesus has is, are yours for free. So none of this, well, I'm just this poor, insignificant Christian. That is garbage from the pit of hell. It is not humility. It is absolute nonsense of the biggest kind. Okay, final point. And change your mind. Be prepared to change your mind and confess that God is good. Virtue. Some of, some of you have noticed have a problem with impartation. You know, so I have something from God and I can put my hand on someone and pray for them and then they get it. Yeah. Some of you think, well, that's weird. Well, it might be weird, but I'm going to keep in the weird club with Jesus. Is that all right? <laughs> just, just, if you're going to be a proper Christian, you're just going to have to live with some people thinking you're a bit weird. If you want to make everybody like you all the time and think you're sensible, really, you join the wrong club. (laughs) 
I mean, here, he actually says power leaves him. So by a physical contact, he feels something exit his body and enter hers. That's what we mean by impartation. Virtue. A heavenly substance. Holy Spirit. Anointing. However you want to... Just kind of gets transferred from him to her by a physical touch. Ooh. Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift in you through the laying on of my hands. So something from heaven came to Timothy through Paul because he touched him. Ooh. And, and in Luke 6, it says that people, lots of people in this scripture, Luke 6, 18, are trying to touch Jesus. It says those came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. Four. So there's Jesus in a crowd probably larger than this, and power is coming out from him, and they've figured this out. You know, slowly, slowly, there's a few demons are going out, people are getting healed, and people are like, man, he's carrying something, he's exuding something, he's, he's emanating something, and it's whatever, whatever touches it, bad stuff goes and good stuff comes. If we just touch him, we're going to be healed. So they're going, zap, zap. Zap! And Jesus is just kind of walking around and people are getting whacked and zapped and healed. Just because they touched him, they connected to heaven. And heaven's substance, heaven's goodness, heaven's power, heaven's anointing flows into their body out of impartation. And just to round it up, we've got to start reading this New Testament not just as a storybook and an instruction book to us, but we should read the Gospels as an invitation, as, as a, a display of, of what we can do. So Jesus said, everything that I do, you can do. So let's just read what he did, and then we can go do it. That's what he's saying. So if he did it, we can do it. So if power came out of him and healed them, that can happen for you. You can be walking around and someone goes, hmm, just touched down the American, I got healed. Oh, it's coming, I oh, know it's coming. How good is that? Because I can do what he did, and that's what he did, so I can do it, and so can you. Stuff from heaven can come out of you and leak onto other people and connect to other people and deliver other people and heal other people. How cool is that? We can do this stuff. We can receive this stuff. Can we, can we stand and, in his presence and receive from him?